just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you, Lord. We just thank you, Father. Ten days, Lord, into this new month, the seventh month. But you are not constrained by days or months or time. You alone stay and stand apart of everything that constrains us. You are beyond time, from everlasting to everlasting. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last. You have already seen the end of this day in everyone's life, even before we begin. We just want to thank you, Lord, that you are our Father. This morning, as we look into your word, as Peter said, it's a revelation about you. And we ourselves will not know who we are until we find us in you, Lord. That's who we really are. So even as you reveal, Father, your Son, you are also revealing us in your Son. Because your desire and your aim is to conform us to the image of your Son. So speak to us, Lord. Speak to us, because those things that we see are temporal, but the things that we do not see are eternal. And help us to keep our eyes fixed on the eternal, even as we live in the temporal, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray, Amen, Amen, Amen. We turn to Revelation chapter 1. And verses 14 to 16. Yeah. Esther, could you close the door? No? We had looked at 14 and 15. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ, okay? So, I mean, even these are in symbols. These are in symbols. This is not how he looks like. These are all symbols. And this is not how we will look like either. Okay, so don't waste so much on the outer. I mean, look good. Because we have to look good. Because that's how God made us. Because he said it is good. So you don't have to look bad. Because then you are going against God's creation order. Because when he created everything, he looked at man. He looked at everything and he said it's good. But that's not how we will ultimately look like. So there, his head and hair were white like wool. As white as snow. And his eyes like a flame of fire. We saw that the head... His holiness, his righteousness, his purity, his wisdom, his knowledge, everything captured in that one line, his head, because that's the head. Okay, his head, headship, head, everything goes with that. We saw yesterday, it goes with decisions, it goes with responsibility, everything. His head and hair were white, like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes, we saw on Monday about his eyes, he sees everything. Nothing is hidden. In the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 1, we have a, another vision of God in heaven. What a very, very powerful vision, full of symbols. And uh, God is in his throne, and these four creatures, and the wheel within the wheel. We don't understand, but if you look at if I'm right, Ezekiel 1, 18, the rim of that wheel... For as for their rims, this is the rim of the wear, they were so high, 
they were observant. Now, remember, this is not God. This is on what he's sitting or what he's carrying his throne. They were awesome. And their rims were full of eyes all around the four of them. So it's all giving one. God is so high. I mean, when your vantage position is high, that's why they basically drones don't go down. Drones are the drone pictures are different because they give you a vantage point from height. That is one. Second, it is full of eyes. So it's a picture about the eyes, which is that God's vantage position. He sees everything and he sees every detail. Okay, every detail. This is what David through his meditation says. This knowledge is too much for me. To know that you know everything about me, my tomorrow, my yesterday, my today, everything. And those, that knowledge of God. So that's where we see Jesus' eyes. And then we saw his feet. His feet were like burnished bronze. No, his feet. And, uh, which means that he went through Every one thing on earth when he came in the flesh. This is the, this is the vision of post-resurrection, Jesus, okay? He went through every temptation, every trial, every test, and he triumphed over everything. Sin and Satan are under his feet. And now he's sitting in heaven, reigning there, both as king and priest in the order of Melchizedek, in the lives of his surrendered saints. He cannot reign over the lives of those who are not surrendered. They are captured by the laws he has put into nature. But he can only reign now, right now, he can only reign in the lives of those who surrender. Okay, please understand, there is his sovereignty of God and this is personal intervention of God. That is why God always uses that word which we don't like, which is the word called submission. Because if we don't submit, then God can't rule the way he wants to rule over our lives. And then we saw from First Corinthians 15, everything is under his feet and he has to reign until all his enemies are under his feet. And the last enemy is death, then he hands over the kingdom. And then we saw his voice. His voice is the sound of many waters, the majesty of it, because we know Genesis 1, uh, 1, 2, and Revelation 21, 2. Okay, if you go there, I think we saw it on Monday. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That is the first judgment that took place. And when Revelation 21.1 begins, no, 21.1 begins, you see judgment is over, and you will see what happens over there is there is no more sea. Meaning, in Revelation 21 begins, we will never hear the judgmental voice, voice of God ever in eternity. That's my assumption. Because judgment is finished. Everybody has come through judgment. You know, we will not hear that voice, that voice. You not know, like when our children are small, we tell them, don't, don't do, don't do, don't do, do. And as they grow up further and further, and one day when they leave, you will realize your judgmental voice over them is over. 
unless they come and ask you. You do not speak that to them anymore. Because they have crossed that. They have gone, now they are making their own judgments. Their own judgment. There is a point in your life where you know that is over. Now if they have to hear that judgmental voice, they come and ask you, but it is only in terms of counsel or advice. You don't exercise authority over them because they have moved out. These are voices. So that's what the voice is hearing. The voice of the Lord was like the waters. Now we will go to verse 16 for today. The meditation is on verse 16, one portion. He had in his right hand seven stars. He had in his right hand seven stars. In verse 20, we'll explain what those stars are. 20 and 2, 1. Okay, 20. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand. Okay. What are they? The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, this is where the confusion comes the seven stars, what are these angels? So even more clarification to come is 2-1 onwards. And 2-1 is enough because to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Okay, so is he writing to an angel or is he writing to the pastor? It's a question. Because angels cannot be corrected. Either they are fallen or they are standing. Okay, so the word angel over is the word which you have, is the word minister. So he's not writing to the angelic beings, he's writing to the pastor of that church. Seven churches are there, above each of the churches he's put a shepherd, he's put a pastor. It is to them it is being written. Though you can't rebuke an angel because the angel has gone wrong in ministering in the church, but angels don't oversee churches. They may be in protective capacities, sent to those who are being saved, but God doesn't write to those angels. He's speaking to the pastor. So we need to understand what this word angel means. Okay. So the Bible says there in verse 16, seven stars. Okay. Seven. We see again and again and again the word seven being repeated through the Bible, especially in the book of Revelation. Seven meaning completeness. And the first time we see the word seven is, of course, in Genesis chapter one, where on the seventh day God rested. That's why we talk about completeness. So the complete message to all the churches in 2000 years is there in these messages to the seven churches. If we study the God's message to the seven churches, we will find out where we are right and where we are wrong and we make amendments. We, this is complete. There is no need for an eighth message. Though when Paul, um, God is speaking and John is ministering, there were more than seven churches, even in Asia Minor itself, but only to seven churches. So like we said, even when God uses Apostle Paul, he also writes epistles only to seven churches. And some of the epistles he wrote to other churches were divinely lost. Like this letter he wrote to Laodicea and all. It's not, it is there in the Bible. He wrote letters, but they were never found. Only these seven letters are there. So in it, God says from Romans to the final uh, one, he says that seven letters, a complete message I'm giving to the church. So we need to understand what, because these numbers mean. 
are important. So when God has written only to the seven churches, let somebody says we have discovered a document to the eighth church. No, seven is repeatedly there from Genesis 1 onwards all the way through Revelation. We have the number seven. So it's a representative of all the churches. While seven spirit is talking about the omniscience of the Holy Spirit, then of course we have all this all this uh, judgments, all seven, 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 seven going on. And therefore, the warning in 22.18. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book because it says it is complete. You don't have to add anything to this. There's nothing more. The canon is close. We use in literature a term called canon. C-A-N-O-N. Canon means the law. God's final revelation is ended with this. Psalm 104, verse 4 and Hebrews 1, 7. Again, what we're talking about the seven stars. Who makes his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire. Okay, this is the same thing with the writer of Hebrews will speak in Hebrews 1 7. You know, Hebrews 1 7. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? So in heaven, God has his angelic host, has his ministers, has his servant. On earth, he has his shepherds, he has his pastors. Okay, so they are ministers, he has made ministers a flame of Fire, his angels, spirits, meaning the purpose of God's shepherds is to go to the spirit of God's word, not the letter. Go to the spirit of God's word. What does God intend here? And they should never lose their fire. They should never lose their fire. Okay, we need to understand preachers are reflectors of God's glory. Okay, as Christ revealed the glory of the Father in John 1.14, we see Christ reveal the glory of the Father. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, as the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. In legalism, what happens is they produce, or so if we become legalistic, we produce self-glory. That is why Jesus was telling, what did you go to the wilderness to see? Somebody who's this thing in silk garments, and that's what law produces, legalism produces. It's a glorification of self. But when we balance grace and truth, we reflect God's glory. So servants of God are supposed to be ministers in the spirit and they should be very, very careful that they never lose their zeal, their fire. Timothy has lost his fire. And that's Paul's encouragement, indictment, fan back to flame, fan, whatever, what has that fire gone? If you go, come to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 15, to the church in Laodicea, he says, I know your work, that you are neither cold nor hot. It's the way you do your stuff. There is no zeal there at all. Your fire is gone. He uses the word lukewarm. And I will use the word lukewarm. That's okay. Neither cold or hot. What has happened to your fire? 
Okay, because the first thing that you start losing is you start losing your fire. When you talk about Jesus Christ, whether it's in the beginning of his ministry, we see in John, or the end of his ministry, you see, you will see his zeal for his father, for his house. Okay, his it never went. That zeal never went. Everywhere you will see. That's why you have to watch out in relationships with God and with man. In marriage, with your children, the first sign is a fire starts going out. It goes. And that's what happened to the first church also. They they had practically become legalistic. They were absolutely right on the dot. The dots were in the place, the T's were crossed. But it says, the fire of your love has gone. It is not there. So if you look at the indictments in each of those five churches, where are they going wrong? Okay, And the indictments are written to the angels, which are the ministers, the pastors, because he says, you lost it, and the people lost it. You lost it, and the people lost it. That's where we have to be very, very careful. That's why he is telling the first church also, go back and do the things which you did in the beginning. Because that's when you had passion for God. That's when you had passion for people. That's gone. So that's what he's talking about. So this is the difference between Moses and Jesus. The law and grace. You see, when, when, uh, Moses came down, they wanted him to cover his face. They wanted him to cover his face. But when Jesus came, he uncovered before us the face of God. And we did not, you know, everyone was crowding around him because he showed a different facet of God's glory. Now let's go to verse 16. Okay, so please get this. In his hand, he had his right, in his right hand, seven stars. Okay, these are talking about the pastors and specifically it is talking to us who are in ministry and that we have to be very, very careful that we guard our own fire. Our own fire. We don't lose our fire because if the pastor loses the fire, very soon the church, very church will lose its fire. But even if the church loses its fire, the pastor still retains his fire. He still can rekindle their passion back. But the problem, that's why the devil will be always attacking the pastors, the servants of God, because he's notes rather than go after individual sheep, it is easier to hit the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And that's where the pastor is always under attack, and he has to be very careful that he's always zealous for one, for God and for God's people. Both. Both for God and God's people. Okay? Let's go to verse 16 again. Look at that. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. We are seeing a revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? Out of his mouth. What goes out of his mouth? Hebrews 4.12, we know this very well, but let's look at it. The word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit, joints and marrows, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So this is a description of Jesus Christ. In the, John 1.1 1, 1 will say, in the beginning was the word. From creation, that is Genesis 1, 3, 
from creation, Genesis 1-3. You look at that. We'll look at this one verse today. Let there be light. Everything, till Revelation 19-15. Okay, Revelation 19-15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. From creation to ultimate destruction, judgment. It is all done by words. It's everything is done by words. Everything is done by words. Okay. In Ephesians 6 and verse 17, the word is called the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay. God has given us the word both to judge ourselves and to overcome the enemies of God. That's why it is double-edged. To judge ourselves and to overcome. Okay. In Romans 10, let's go to Romans 10 and verse 6 onwards, 6 to 10. But the righteousness of faith Okay, there is faith and there is the righteousness of faith. There is a righteousness that comes by faith and there is the righteousness of faith. It speaks in this way. So, the righteousness of faith speaks in a certain way. It speaks in a certain way. What does it say? Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from the above, who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Okay, The righteousness of faith does not question the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I don't know whether we understood that. The righteousness of faith will never question the fact that Jesus Christ is seated on the right hand of God and is absolute control of everything that is taking place in our lives. That is what it means. That is what it means. Our words will either show belief or unbelief. So when when we react to situations, we're either saying Christ is seated on the throne or he is still there and everything is out of control. So the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. What does it say? Verse 8. This is what it says. But what does it say? It does not say this, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, that is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that can be at any moment. The thief that was dying on one side, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was an absolute statement of faith. And Jesus said, you shall be with me in paradise today, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him. What does it mean God has raised him from the dead? That he is seated there above all powers, principality. That is your confession of your faith. You will be saved. If you actually believe in every moment, in anything, any situation you are going through, you actually believe Jesus is seated on the right hand side of God and he is in control. He says you will be saved out of your situations. Your situation does not matter. What you believe is what matters and what you, that is what happened in the entire book of Philippians is a confession of Paul in prison. Why is it that the peace of God is guarding his heart and mind because his confession is aligned to Christ's position? Not his situation. Not his situation. 
It's in Christ's power. My situation does not matter. What matters is Christ's possession. But how it is all expressed? It's all expressed in words. It's all expressed in words. All expressed in words. Do you remember Matthew 8, 8, when Jesus comments the Roman centurion? This is because what he said. He said, centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy if you should come under my But only speak, speak a word. Only speak a word. And my servant will be healed. Only speak a word. Okay. In John chapter 4, verse 49 to 51. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. And when he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying that, Your son lives. It's not just hearing. The question is, the word of God has power. The word of God has the power to work in those who believe. And so many of our things we need to understand is in. If you go to Psalm 138 and verse 2, very familiar for us. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. Why? For you have magnified your word above all your name. He's saying that, you know, all these things I am doing. Why am I doing it? Because it is written. If these words were in there, words were in there, I wouldn't have known about you. I wouldn't have known about you. Now that through your words, I understand you, this is my response to your word. And you have magnified your word above all your name. Let's get to Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion. Okay? If you look at the whole Genesis, we'll come back to this. Go to 2.7 and then we'll come back to this. And the Lord God formed formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostril the breath of life and man became a living being. This seven we do not fully understand so we try to put in human terms and all theologians will say he knelt down and he took clay. He needn't have done any of this thing. He could have just spoken and the clay come together. So we don't know how he did it. But other than specifically he taking out the rib out and making the woman. If you look, the entire creation is only by speaking. Only by speaking. He just speaks. He just speaks. And we need to understand, going back to verse 26, going back to 26, we were made man, unlike the others, man was made in God's image. Image. And what actually distinguishes man from the rest of creation on earth as we see it is words. It's words. It's words that we use to think, to imagine, to communicate and to build. Everything is built with words. So even the Tower of Babel was being built with words. Let us come. So God just confused it and the building collapsed. Okay, now you need to understand that's how it works. Relationships are either built with words or destroyed with words. 
its word. And Babel was incomplete. They couldn't finish it. All God did was, he just messed up their words. So we need to understand, we are made in God's image. You take word out, like when we see, you know, we get the videos of little Arya and all, but we know she's just making sounds. She has no language. Okay, honestly, because it's our grandchild, of course different. But if you put that aside and just listen to babies, all babies sound the same. Every baby sounds the same. We'll say ours is special, but actually every baby is special. I have listened to all the babies here. They all sound the same. Okay? Because they have no words to express. They have no words. They don't actually see. Though they see, they don't see. That's why we have no memory of our childhood because there were no words. There were no words. So when the Bible says, in the beginning was the word, because if there is no word, there is no creation. You cannot have creation without words. You cannot have imagination without words. You cannot have thoughts without words. For all these things, what you need is words. And that is the image in which God has created us. See, the work comes later. But you cannot work unless you have thoughts. And you cannot have thoughts unless you have words. You cannot have... So, word comes first. In the beginning was the word. So, we need to understand the building block. The first building block is that God said. God said. That's how it is. God said. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Bible says, in the beginning was the word. And everything was created by him, for him, and through him. So the word comes. So when we are talking about out of his mouth, we are made in his image. So out of our mouth, every time comes a double-edged sword. Every time. Okay? Every time. Okay? If you look... Genesis 2 and verse 17 and then go to 3, 4 and 5. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. This is what God said. God said. He said something. He said you can eat of all this. Okay. But don't eat this. Okay. Don't eat this. He said. Now, if you come to Genesis 3, 4, and 5, the serpent is only using words. Nothing else is happening in the garden. Nothing else is happening. Okay, we talk about ac- actions will only come after the words. You cannot have an action before a word. Even if it is not spoken, it is thought. You cannot do something which you don't think. Actions are a result of words, which is either spoken or thought. So the serpent said, the serpent said, what did he use? Words. Okay, words. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And verse 6 says over there, when the, why did she see differently? Because words were used to see differently. So everybody doesn't see the same way. Because in an average, a normal human being does not use more than two to three thousand words in their entire lifetime. 
They don't. Because they don't have a cavalry more than that. Those who are highly educated will go to 10,000 to 15,000 words. So the way that person sees and the way a normal man sees is not the same because the words are less. So the way God sees who is the word and the way we see is completely different. Perception differs according to words. According to words. Okay, like I asked Sami when we came in, Sami, what is the color code Jyoti wants? So he said, purple. So I said, purple this, this. Now this is not purple. This is not red. This. So you need to realize normal human being Average human being, average, we're not talking about, we're not demeaning anybody. Red is red. But as you go further, you will see red and burgundy and uh, wine color, so maroon, so many shades come. What happened? What happened? They're all words. But each of the words signify a different shade of red. Okay? So we need to understand. Okay? We need to understand. The power of words, the power. So the enemy uses words over there. As soon when God spoke, if you eat, you will surely die. Their perception about that one tree was completely different from the other trees. This is all nice. This is all good. We can eat. It is fun. That is dangerous. But when they heard another set of words, when they saw it differently, this is what words are being used every day. From every media, every words are going out that causes us to change how we look at life, our perception. That is why God is saying, I have magnified my word above everything else. Until you take this as the truth, your perception will never change. And your perceptions will be all will be wrong. Your understanding will be wrong. Why? Because you are evaluating the word with other words. Other words. And again, the problem is, if you are trying to use the word to understand, again you will go wrong because you need the spirit. When the spirit comes, perception changes. This is how God sees. That is why it is called, the word of God is living. The sword of the spirit, which Cuts through all misunderstanding. Cuts through all kinds of perception. It cuts through so you are able to see this is what is true and this is what is false in me. And therefore I have aligned myself to the truth which the Spirit shows. This is the power of His Word. This is the power of this Word. The power to change. So when the Bible is talking about it, it's a double-edged sword. Okay, It can destroy you. And destroy others or save you and save others. It can lift you up or it can cast you down. In James chapter 3, we have looked it over and over again. But let's look at it again. Chapter 3, verse 2 and 8. For we all stumble. That's the first thing. We all stumble in many things. If, this is a big if, if anyone does not stumble in word. Okay, 
is a perfect man. Okay, so basically God is saying to be mature, to be complete, perfect. There is a word which intends maturity. A mature person is a one who is very careful about the words they use. The words they use. Because words will cause you to stumble. Words will cause others to stumble. Okay. Words will cause you to stumble. Others to stumble. In verse 8, the Bible says, No man can tame the tongue. So we need to be very careful about this, that no man can actually tame the tongue. That means we need God's help to tame our tongue. No man can tame the tongue. In James 1 and verse 26, this is what James says, 126 again. He says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious. Now we know religion. Religion is connected always with denying bad works and doing good works. That is religion. He says, but all that is useless. Your religion is useless if you are not careful about your words. Careful about your words. In First Peter chapter 2 and verse 22, 2.22 This is about Jesus Christ Who committed no sin Nor was deceit Found in his mouth He was the only perfect man Who has ever walked on earth Only perfect man Who ever walked on earth So we have to come back To the mouth And what proceeds from the mouth Because we are made in the image of God So you cannot go to words first you have to go to thoughts first. That's how it works. The way you handle it is by going to your thought life. That's why the Bible says, think about things that are above. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. two. Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. First thing is your mind. Because you will not, you will not speak Usually, you will not speak without thinking. People will say some people speak without thinking, which is not true, because they have thought that way for a long time, and now they are speaking without thinking, because they thought that way. So the Bible says, simple thing is, set your mind on things ever. What does that mean? You are thinking about angels flying with harps and all. No, you just have to think that if I were to say this, what is it going to cost me in eternity? That's what it simply means. If I were to say these things, what is it going to cost me in eternity? Because God says every careless word is going to be judged. What is it going to cost me in eternity? Okay, the price I will be paying. That's a simple thing about anything. Put your mind on things above. Okay, because you no, know, God is a very wise businessman or a wise steward. Just yesterday, today or yesterday, we were talking in the morning. I was telling it's got to do with stewardship. A lot of things has got to stewardship because usually people are terrible stewards of resources, stewards of words, stewards of life. Terrible stewards. And stewardship. If you look at the woman at Zarephath, she was a very good steward. How do you know? Because she had carefully measured out and come to her last handful. And she was watching it carefully. So she knew when the prophet reached, she said, I have only enough for today. 
So she was measuring it out, hoping it would last, the rain would come. So she was a very good steward. She was not just a giver. She was not just a giver, she was a giver. But not only that, she was a very good steward. Stewardship is a very important thing in life. Okay, So the simple thing is that if you're going to be a very good steward of the words that you speak, you should be a very good steward of the thoughts you think. Think about God and about people. See, the words we speak are not accidents. They don't, they don't accidentally come. If you think about somebody only sympathetically, kindly, with mercy, when you open your mouth, only mercy will come. Why is Jesus able to meet people who are neck deep in sin and still speak mercy? Why? Because he's only thinking mercy. I have come to save. I have not come to condemn. I have come to save. I have not to come. I have come to. Why does the Revelation 19.15 says when he comes, now he's not coming to save. He's coming to judge. So his first coming is entirely on one precept. It is to save. 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 That's how he's thinking. So if you think that way, that's what you will speak. That's what you will speak. But if you think otherwise, that's what you will speak. So it anything, it does not matter like we have a dear sister here who's who's got an issue and she's going through surgery. Now that is an affliction in your body. But that does not mean you need to think sickness. You think wellness. You don't think sickness. Even though you have a sickness, you think healing. Even though you may have very little money, poverty is a mindset. If you have a poverty mindset, what happened will, it will show on you ultimately. You will not give. You will live like a beggar even when you have. Because it's a mindset. It's a mindset. It's a mindset. Okay? So we need to realize this is, that's why the Bible needs, you need to, you need to go to James chapter 2 and verse 5. Okay? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? So you should think rich. It doesn't matter whether you don't have. You're rich in faith. Okay? And faith is full of works. Without works, faith is dead. So faith is full of work. So even though the widow in Zarephath was practically poor, she was rich because she gave. God saw all these places in Samaria and Israel and he said, you know what? There's only one rich poor widow there. She's the only one who will give if I send. That's what he said. There were many widows in Israel, but I couldn't send my servant to anybody because they all would have hidden it and said, we don't have anything. They would not have given because it's a mentality. Okay? So sickness is a mentality. First, it is a mentality. Poverty is a mentality. These are all. So if you want to change your words, it doesn't. A lot of people, when they hear a message like that, for one day they will speak. And then they will revert back to the default setting because the mind hasn't changed. That's why we keep preaching on this thing. Your mind are not changing. So, see, to, so people remain angry. 
They're always known like Amitabhachan in the young days, the angry young man, though he has become very old, he's an angry old man. He should not be because why the mindset is not changing. Depressed people are always depressed. Though they hearing every message, they hear is the message of encouragement, they go out depressed because the mindset is not changing. So God says you have to change the way you think. Think, think about these things. Think about these things. In Philippians also, after giving us all that encouragement, no? he will say in Philippians uh, 4, uh, yeah, one second. Yeah, got it? Philippians, got it? Yeah. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, okay, whatever things are true, this is what I counsel people who have come through even divorce. I tell them, look back into your marriage, there were good things. It was not the day you got married, your husband started beating you up. There were some good times. That was true. Think about all those things. So you know what? You can even post-divorce live a peaceful life. In everybody you have encountered in your life, there are true things. There are true things. Think about that. There are true things. Okay? There is no... Because everybody ate from the tree of good and evil. So there is good Everybody. Everybody. Okay, everybody. Now we don't have to think about everybody in the world, but we whom we relate to, think the good about them. Usually it is the other way. That's what uh, Mark Antony says in that famous speech. The good that people do is interred or buried with their bones. The evil lives after them. Some people can only think about what they did to me. And therefore, you know what? When they see them, either they turn away or they, they are angry or they shout and scream. It's because you're not changing your mindset. Mindset. Now, Paul could have been the most angry man. Because every place he goes, he goes to help, he gets beaten up. He gets thrown in the prison. And he should be an angry, bitter man. Finally, when you come to Second Timothy, all his churches abandoned me. He is lying in prison. Nobody seeks him except two or three people. Imagine after 30, 40 years of ministry, your life ends like that. You would be the most bitter person. Instead, he's the most kind, loving person. Why? His thought. His thought life. He's thinking on things which are true. And that's what God is talking about. Because we cannot change our words unless we change our thoughts. Now, you don't have to whitewash people. God is not saying that to That is foolishness. You don't have to whitewash. <laughs> okay. If you whitewash people, you end up looking like Modi. <laughs> If you go to Second Corinthians ten, four and six, you know, okay, four and six. It's a very powerful. This is where the battle is fought. Okay, Second Corinthians four to six. Yeah, weapons of a warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down stronghold. What is a stronghold that controls you? 
Okay. Now, where does it's, it's all in your mind? Casting down arguments. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Why do we need the knowledge of God? We are here hearing now from Revelation one, a revelation of Jesus. This is who God is. So we have thoughts and arguments in our mind which exalts above the knowledge of God. Well, God has magnified His word above all. So there's this argument going on like this. Okay, because we need to realize everything that we are going through, the final conflict is with God. That's why when God they murmured against Moses, then they murmured against Moses and Aaron. God said, "You know what? They are not murmuring against you, Moses. You don't get so upset. They are murmuring against me. You are just a representative. What can you do without me? So when they are murmuring against you, they are murmuring against me." When they said we want a king, Samuel got so upset. He said, you don't get so upset. They are not rejecting your leadership. They are rejecting my leadership. They are rejecting me as king. So every murmur, every grumbling is ultimately directed against God by saying, you are not doing anything in my life. You are not changing my situation. Everything is directed against God. And these things are in our mind. So Paul is telling us this is the practical way to do life and this is a very powerful testimony because he is lying in chains in a dungeon. See, somebody who is outside doing well says, I thank God, I worship God. It's a different thing. But this is a man who has been serving God so faithfully, beaten up, thrown in chains in dungeon and he tells us, rejoice in the Lord always and I say rejoice. With thanksgiving, make all your supplications know with prayer. When this man, and everything that he is saying can be only expressed in words. Joy is expressed in words. Thanksgiving is expressed in words. Supplication is expressed in words. Prayers are expressed. Everything is expressed in words. Okay. Why? Because he kept his mind right. This is what it's talking about. We have to cast down. We are not denying facts. We are exalting truth. You don't have to deny facts. This is a fact. I am ill. That's a fact. But the truth is my God is a healer. And the truth is that even if I don't get healed or perfectly healed in this lifetime, I will one day get a body in which there is no sickness at all. And that is from everlasting to everlasting. That is the truth. Because the things that I see yesterday when I was teaching, this is the two fundamental truths on which we have to hang. One, his thoughts and his ways are far higher than mine. So you don't even presume I think his thoughts and I know his ways. Always leave an element of doubt. I don't know. So Lord reveal. Second thing is that things that we see are temporal. The things that we do not see is eternal. So therefore, even if you are going through marriage, and the marriage is full of problem, even that affliction is temporal because in the next life there is no marriage. This is temporal. There is no, I suffered with this man all my life and when I eternity I have to live with him forever. God says, no, there is no marriage in heaven. You are not going to live with him. But this is a test for you. How you will come through. I'm not saying talking violence and I'm not talking about, don't mis, misquote me. But I am talking, everything in this life is temporal. There is not one thing in this life that is eternal. Not one thing. 
There's not one thing in eternal. That's why God says, heaven and earth will pass away. So, these two things we need in our life. One is we need to understand his thoughts and his ways are different. So let me not presume this is what he is thinking and this is how he does things. Let me go back and ask Lord, is this what you think about this situation? Is this how you want to do? Because that's what Abraham did not do. He had a vision, he had a promise, he had a covenant and then Sarah came and said, you know, I said there are five characters in that Genesis 16. There is Abraham, there is Sarah, there is Hagar, there is the angel of the Lord and then there is the devil. And the whole thing is happening through words. Sarah comes and tells Abraham, the Lord has restrained me from having children. Here is my Egyptian thing. And he heeded to her voice. He went into Hagar. Hagar now has, and she despises her mistress. You need to realize there are words that is happening through the entire family situation. So Sarah comes and says, I gave my maid into your arms. Now look, the Lord judges all words. He says, I don't Want to do anything. I leave her completely. Sarah dealt harshly with me. She opened her mouth and gave her nicely. So nicely that Hagar who is pregnant ran away. And when the angel of the Lord comes, the entire encounter is with words. Where are you coming from? You look, it's all got to do with words. Because you take words out, nothing is there. Nothing is there. And that's what God is talking about. Out of a mouth, what comes? It's a double-edged sword. It can heal. It can kill. It can heal. It can kill. We have to be careful about how we handle this. So, you and I, we cannot change, change our words without changing our Thoughts, that's what we're talking about. Casting down every argument, every high thing that exalts. Bringing every, that's the key word, bringing every thought into the obedient captivity to the obedience of Christ. It is not, you know, we, we try to, we think, uh, this is where the key, key lies. We meditate upon the word day and night and we think we have brought our thought to the captivity of the word of God. No, his life, the obedience of Christ, his life, because ultimately words, thoughts will become words and thoughts and words will be actions. So it is the obedience of Christ. That is what I say. When it came to words, he never, never was deceit found in his mouth. When it came to action, it was always loving, kind, merciful, even to the harshest. He was very clear. But his heart was always right. That's what he's talking about, the obedience of Christ. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled, even last night, till last night, calls were coming, you know. I'm struggling, 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 struggling. And I have to tell them the same thing. If you don't change your thoughts, you will struggle. Only you have control. I can counsel, I can pray over you, I can bind, I can loosen, but I have no power to get into your mind. I have only power over my mind. That is where it lies. Mind is where it all lies. Can I control my thoughts? If you come to John chapter 1. 
please understand this when God is talking about, okay? Because we are so smart, we can think one thing and speak something else. That is what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is one who thinks one thing, but says something else. Something else. Okay? A true person, not in the image of Christ, a person is true, is he thinks one thing and says the same thing, even what he thinks is wrong. It doesn't have to be right. Next stage is, you think right, and you say right. So if you come to John chapter 1, and verse 45 to 47, Philip found Nathanael and said, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no disease. This fellow is not a hypocrite. Not a hypocrite. What he thinks is what he says. Okay, so stage one, he's reached. Stage two is now to think right, to discern what is right, understand, perceive what is right, and then speak right. Okay, not to keep your mouth shut. Okay, first you have to think, if you go to Mark, uh, Matthew 7, and verse 1 onwards. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eyes, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. If you look at that, the entire thing is connected with words. It's only words. God is not saying not judge. God is saying judge correctly. Nathaniel is a man without deceit. He judged wrongly, but he was not a hypocrite. He was not a hypocrite. He was not a hypocrite. So the, everything we see in the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And why is that revelation important? Is because God wants to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. So when you're talking about Hebrews 4 and verse 12, it's important again. For the word of God is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit of joints. And that's that last part. Is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So there are thoughts, there are intentions, there are words, and there is action. Okay? If you go to... That's how it works. If you go to John chapter 1 and verse 35. John 1, 35 to 38. Again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus, as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. 
This is how it all begins. Okay, he's standing there. He's got a divine revelation. He points and says, "Behold, the Lamb of God." Till then, he didn't know, though Jesus was his cousin, he did not know. Behold, the Lamb of God. Two disciples heard him. That's how it all begins. Okay, two disciples heard him speak. Okay, they heard, and they started following Jesus. Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? What do you seek? Okay, we need to understand. We hear something. From those words, we perceive something. And then we start following that thing. That's how it happens. We hear it. Everything is with words. John said something. They heard something, they pursued something, and they started following Jesus, and Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. And he said, what do you seek? Because every issue is basically human relationship issues is got that. Man says something, woman hears something else. What he said, what she understood are two different things, and she starts following him. He never asks her, what do you seek? What is that you seek? Did you misunderstand my words? What did, what did I say? What are, that's what Jesus is saying. What do you seek? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? I think they were caught off guard. They didn't know what to say. They said, where are you staying? He said, oh, come and see. Come and see. And they, he said to them, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Okay. This is, this is the whole thing. Okay. Lord, because our, our entire life is based on two commandments, love God, which is relationship vertically and love man horizontally. And it is all got to do with words. What is said, what is understood. And we sometimes Partially understand, sometimes we misunderstand, but the problem is that we follow. And when we follow, you never ask this question, what am I seeking? Then people get upset with God. God said, did I promise you these things? Did I promise you? So Jesus is very clear when the disciples start following him. He says, why are you following me? Foxes have holes, birds have nests. These are the conditions for following. Am I fooling anybody over here? He tells his disciples. Okay. You need to realize this is all got to do with words. It's all got to do with words. He brought them with a mighty hand out of Egypt. He brought them into the wilderness. Did all this miracle. Then he brought to the Mount Horeb. Then he said, go and tell the people, these are the terms of the covenant. Are they okay with it or not? If it is okay, we shall have a covenant. If you follow the terms of the covenant, this is will be. If you break, this is what will be. They said, it's okay. My question always, my doubt is that, what if the people came back and told Moses, it is not okay? God would have said, okay, I brought you. Just live around here. Wander around here. Live the way you want. Without judgment. 
and die. And die. Because you said, okay. You said, it's it's not okay. It's not okay. Hmm? Marriages take place. At that point, at that, the bride and the bridegroom don't even remember what they said. For better or that's the most important part. The other is a covenant, okay? Better or worse, sickness or health, riches or poverty. These are different conditions you will go through in life. You already pre, what you call, you have, you have factored all this thing in, into your life as you go forward and death to part. So you already factored it and it's all said in words. But when these things happen, you realize you didn't mean what you said. Either one party or both parties. You didn't mean what you said. Okay. But God means what he says. Okay. We need to realize this has all got to do with words. So our life is not going to change unless we go back and change the way we think the way we speak, and the way we do. That's where it happens. That's how it all happens. Otherwise, it's not going to change. Okay? Like, God, like putting it bluntly, God is not so much moved by our tears. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 14 to 15. I have a few things against you. Because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. Okay? Who taught Balaam to pull a stumbling block. Okay, now go to verse 15 again. You also have those who hold the doctrine of Nicolaitans, which I hate. Did you see that? And verse 16? Repent. Okay. So this is a church which is unique from the other churches. They are holding on to doctrine which are false. Words that has been taught. You need to understand. A lot of people think the way they are taught. Think the way they are taught. In this particular church, unlike the other churches, this is a very specific church where God brings, they have two fundamentally wrong doctrines that is being taught and they are holding on to it. And God says over there, what is the whole thing? He says, you need to repent. Now he uses this word consistently in the Bible, repent. What is repent? And what is, if you go to Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. Okay, 6 verse 1. Therefore, leaving the elementary discussion of the elementary principles, let us go on to perfection or not laying again what? Foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Now, both repentance and faith towards God is expressed in words. Expressed in words. Okay. Now, letting putting in together with the human relationships, 
people are trying to build a relationship with another person it's like faith towards you by never changing the words which of no not the way of changing we never repenting of the words that you spoke which were wrong and they try that with god too but this is still hanging over there and you will realize why because life is ultimately relationships ultimately if you don't see life in terms of relationship you don't see life luke chapter 15 verses 18 and 19 perfect example i will arise go to my father and will say to him father i have sinned against heaven and before you i am no longer worthy to be called your sons make me like one of your hired servants what is he doing repentance from dead works and faith towards his father both has to be there both has to be there and therefore restoration is taking place and it is all expressed in first in thoughts and then in words so his change comes because his thinking changed he start thinking right and then what comes out of his mouth is a double edged sword which breaks all the chains of the devil from poverty to bondage to slaying with the pigs everything is broken through that words that come through his mouth and as he grows closer and closer to his father he's getting closer and closer to restoration his life is going to change instantly and the whole thing is happening is with words with words with words and when we refuse to speak those words what is restoration cannot take place because i made you in my image and my son is called the word the son is called the word son is called the word that's how it happens everything happens that way hmm? if you go to psalm 139 verse 17 and 18 no one how precious also are your thoughts to me oh god how great is the sum of them let me ask you this question the bible says god so loved the world he gave his only begotten son and he came and he died for us why did christ come to die for us because that's how god always thought about us his thoughts towards us was always thoughts of love he spoke and then he came that's how it works first is your thought life then your word life then your action so god's thoughts towards his children were always loving thoughts and therefore when he speaks also even when he chastises his children he chastises them because he loves them and then he comes and dies for us this is how it works there's no other way this is the way it works okay if you don't change because it's all got to do with words in hebrew sorry ephesians 4 and verse 26 and then james 1:19 and 20 be angry and do not how do you sin with your words with your words be angry says yeah there's something is happening you need to be but you get angry with words how do you, you sin with your words be angry but be careful about what you say what you say people don't address the issue you need to address the issue 
a lot of people are not willing to address if you're trying to address the issue sometimes what happens is the other person does not want to address the issue so tries to cover it and flares back so the issue is finally forgotten it always remains unresolved because you're not willing so bot says be angry both parties be angry about the issue but do not sin if you come over there to james 1 19 and 20 you will see exactly the same thing so then my beloved brethren let every man be swift to hear slow to speak slow to wrath for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of god what is one key thing over there speak because wrath is expressed in words expressed in words slow to speak slow to speak slow to speak slow to wrath that's what the bible is talking about so in proverbs 10 and verse 19 in multitude of words sin is not lacking one of the reason even that this week when somebody came to talk to me in the night i was telling is this one of our our, our human probably post fall i said one of the things about us is that we can't remember most of the things in our life we cannot remember that's the truth even if i were to bring any one of your pictures from 10 years back a picture you can only imagine what you think happened at that time you cannot remember okay therefore most of the things which you are speaking is from our imagination and there is falsehood in it is falsehood because we cannot remember correctly that's why god says be very careful that's why we put up scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture because it is written and you cannot go wrong people will come and say i'm speaking from my heart most of it is imagination so many words we use the the first thing over there is quick to listen why oh, should be quick to listen because what happens we are always usually repeating somebody else's words and we don't listen carefully carefully okay we don't listen carefully and because we don't listen carefully when we repeat what somebody has said we didn't listen carefully now the person must have said five words if he spoke only five words when you repeat it there should be only five words right how come there was 15 words so 10 you added that is what the bible is talking about in the multitude of words <laughs> that's what god is saying you add your own words and all but to my words you add plagues will come don't add or don't subtract okay so please go to proverbs 18:20 and 21 we know it 20 and 21 powerful because we are all we are all victims of this a man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth from the produce of his lips he shall be filled death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit Okay now if you go to Hebrews 1:3 we will understand the power of Jesus words 
anybody because they are made. Okay. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. Upholding all things by the word of his power. This is what headship actually means. When you 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 become a head, okay? I'll tell you simple listen. We don't understand how much it affects our day-to-day life. Like say today. Okay. Today is Friday. What time does Friday meeting begin? Nine thirty. Why? Because long ago I said 9.30. So the meetings are held by the power of my word. For 15 years, church gathers at 9 o'clock. It doesn't change for anybody. Why? Because 15 years ago, I said the church begins at 9. It won't be beginning before or after at 9. And it's still held together 15 years later by the power of a man's word. The whole universe is held together by the power of God's word. God's power. And therefore God says, I made you in my image. I made you in my image. Therefore, be careful about your words because your yes is yes and your no is no. Your yes should not be no and your no shouldn't be yes. Oh, I didn't mean it. No, you meant it. If you don't mean it, don't say it. Don't say it. That is why even for a wedding, it is given three weeks. Three weeks time. If it's gone, it's still 30 days. Why? Is your yes, yes, or on final day you will say this is your last chance. You want to say no? Say no now. If you say yes, it is yes. And people do not realize that is the power, that is the same power in which we were created. We are upholding our life with the power of our words. Wherever we are today is a sum result of our words. And those words are still holding us captive or free. So when the Bible says out of his mouth proceeds, it's talking about all of us. Because that's the way we were created. That's the way we were created. There's no other way we can function because we were made in the image of God. Image of God. That is why politicians are like screened for their words, one word out of place. That, like you look at the, I mean, India so much not though there because, they, but in America in the presidential debates that takes place, we don't have that here. One line can lose, you, cause you to lose your election. I know between Mitt Romney and Barack Obama, one line Mitt Romney, the election was lost. One line. With Trump and Hillary, one-liners were Trump just changed the nature of the debate. Power of words. Here it is all kind of manipulation and all that. But I'm telling you, word. And when Bible talks about Jesus coming and he was tempted at all points and he did not sin, you need to know the amount of self-control he exercised on his word so that we could be saved. Because he could not speak one word that was wrong. One word that was wrong. Because our salvation hung on this. So we need to realize, if we want to rise in the eyes of God, eyes of God, to be used in eternity, how we handle words now matter. If you have doubts, let's close with the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1.
1 verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Go to the next verse. Jeremiah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah. I said, and God said, I said, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. What is the first response? You're saying I'm a prophet, but my problem is I cannot speak. I cannot speak. I cannot speak. Response, I cannot speak. What is God's answer? Verse 9. Verse 9. Okay, that's all. The Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. The first thing he does is he touched his mouth. He says, I understand, you cannot speak. He touched his mouth. You want to see Isaiah chapter 6, 5 and 6? We will know what it means. And then we'll come back to 9 and 10. I said, because he saw a vision of God. Woe to me, for I am undone. What is his first response? I'm a man of uncleanly. What does it mean? I didn't really see you as you really are. And therefore I realized all my words I have spoken is out of place. That's what it means. You see our words, if we were to see God as God is and we were to be seeing it always, our words would change. We wouldn't be speaking what we are speaking now. We wouldn't be dealing with life as we are dealing now. Because we see God and the first thing we realize is everything that I spoke about myself, about others, about you, about everything was wrong. It was wrong. So the first revelation the prophet has is that he sees God and he says, I am undone because you know what? Everything I am speaking is wrong. Think about it. Now let's say Sami is here. Like I said, no, Sami is here. I use this illustration always as an illustration. Not that it's a real event or I had this thing. But as a, a example, let us say you were driving. Let us say Sister Esther went to Alwal Petrol Bank to fill petrol. And then she saw Sami standing before Johnny Wines in the line. And she comes back and she calls uh, Jyoti and says, Jyoti, you know what? Sami was standing there. Do you know that he drinks? Now all she saw was him standing there. Now imagine my wife had told Sami, go to Johnny Wine and get me a bottle of wine so I want to marinate the chicken. Okay. Now she takes one little glass again, marinates the chicken and everybody says next day the chicken was so tasty. But there is another story going around. Sami drinks. Now the question is, none of us know the truth of anything completely. Nobody knows. Only God knows. That is why when God judges, that's why God says, don't judge, show mercy. When God judges people, do you know what will be brought into factor? Everything that happened in your life that made you. He will judge you with compassion. Okay, your father was like that. Your mother was like that. Your uncle was like that. Their fathers were like that. Then you had this issue in your father area. Everything that made it into you is factored in. Therefore, when he judges you, it will be absolutely true. Everything will be factored in. But when we judge, we don't see most of the things. We just make random judgments. So the first thing when he sees God is all my judgments were wrong. 
about you and about people. Because these prophets had to be very careful because the God is telling them, go and speak this. But when they speak this, their heart is not of God. When God says judgment is coming, God is weeping. But the prophet is angry. God is not angry. God is broken over his people. But when he is speaking, the prophet has to get the heart of God and the words of God. So Moses at 40 has the words of God. He does not have the heart of God. That is represented by a two-edged sword. He said, you can't do that. You are my servant. Next time you go, please put that sword away. Carry this stick. This is a shepherd's rod. This is a shepherd's staff. Now your heart and your words will match. That's what he's talking about. As soon as he saw the vision of God, he says, you know, first response is, I am a man of unclean lips. All my words about you, about my own life, about the people around me, everything has been wrong because I could never see truth as it really is. So, Jeremiah says, I cannot speak. God says, not a problem. In this case, you know what happens in verse 6? You know what happens? An angel seraph comes. He takes flew live coal which he had taken from the thongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. What is taken away? Your iniquity. Where was the iniquity? In the words. The iniquity was in the words. And that was taken away. He says, now your sin is purged. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. Now you go to Jeremiah 1.9 and then First thing, okay, the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. First, what does he do? He takes the iniquity and the sin away from my mouth. Then second, he says, he doesn't say, now you speak. He says, no, I will put my words in your mouth. This should be our prayer. Lord, first, take my iniquity off my lips and my sin off. Touch my mouth. Second, Lord, I don't want to speak my words. Put your words in my mouth. Put your words in my mouth. And when he puts his words in our mouth, do you know what happens in verse 10? He says, this is what he will do. See, this day I have set you over nations and over kingdoms. Leave nations, leave kingdoms. I said, leave it alone, we are not bothered. I have set you over yourself. What? To root out and pull down things which you built in your lives with your own unclean lips, unpurged lips. You built this in your life. Now you are struggling because you built your life. How did you build it? With words. Now you Pull down and root it down. Destroy and throw it out down. And then start building and to plan again with words. That's how it happens. Then what happens? Everyone becomes a prophet to his own life. You don't have to prophesy to anybody else. You prophesy to yourself. You prophesy to yourself. That's how life is to be lived. So when we look at Revelation 1.16, it is not a small thing. If you go back to Revelation 1.16, what does it say over there? Out of his mouth came a two-edged sword. What was his countenance? His countenance.
countenance was so bright. Now let me tell you this thing. The countenance is connected with his words. If you have doubts, turn final words for today. Daniel chapter 12, verse 4 and 5, if I'm right. Let me look at it. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book. No, um, uh, 3 and 4. Okay, 3 and 4. 3, 2 and 3 maybe. Yes, many those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame, and some to everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. Those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. Did you see? How do you turn people to righteousness without words? They had death. Tongues had been purged from iniquity and sin and they had used words to build up, to edify and turn people. And therefore, now their countenance is shining. He was the word that came and he spoke life. He died for us. The word became flesh, dwelt among us. And now his word and his countenance shining. He says the same thing for every one of you. Every one of you is the same pattern. One day your countenance will change. But it will be depending upon whether your words were words of righteousness. There is a righteousness that is from faith and faith alone. And this is the word of faith that we preach. What is that? If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. So we have a revelation of Jesus Christ and the revelation of Jesus Christ is a revelation of ourselves. This is what God wants us to be. So we will have, and tomorrow please remember we have pastor's conference. We will have, we will have prayer now uh, with Sam Peter and then we will have prayer. Lord prepare me to be a sanctuary pure and holy tried and true with thanksgiving I'll be a living sanctuary for you Lord prepare me Lord prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary.
even as we are here, we know we're living in a world where it's all about words. Social media has changed the way we live. It's all about words and words and words and fact checkers and truth checkers and false and true. And the enemy will finally change words, change laws, which laws are actually words. And then he will deceive through flattery, which are again words. Okay, all these things are there written. It's all to do with words. The devil uses words, God uses words, man uses words. It's all words. And ultimately, but God says, when we stand before him, we'll be judged by our words. And we saw in Malachi, those who spoke harshly against God, and they say, when did we speak? He said, this is when you spoke. And then he said, those who spoke, book of remembrance, those who feared the Lord, how they spoke, their words were different. We don't understand the depth and it cannot change unless we change the way we think. And we cannot change the way we think unless we start aligning not just our mind, but our hearts also. Because faith comes from the heart. The heart, and there is a trans come baby, transformation of the mind. That's where Romans 12 says, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but by the renewing of the mind. The mind, which is full of words. Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. We just want to thank you, Lord. You are so, so, as we saw yesterday, patient with us. Because we know, Lord, we think wrong, we speak wrong, we act wrong, we struggle, Lord. And there are words, so much words we have spoken, which are not true to your word, to your heart, to who you are. We built our lives on words. The enemy has taken the words we spoke and used it against us because your word says he's the accuser of the brethren who accuses us before God day and night and is using our words against us before you. It's all words. And when Christ stands up and defends us, he's again using words to defend. Repentance is words. If you confess, it's full of words. Faith is words. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, help us. Help us, Lord. Both to repent. Yes, yes. And to have faith towards yes, you. Lord. Yes, in our words, yes. constantly, Lord. Yes, constantly. Lord. Yes. So that your plans, your purposes yes, can come to pass in our lives. Yes, Father. Because often we are our own worst enemies. Yes, yes, yes. This morning we come like Jeremiah and we say, Lord, touch our lips. Touch our lips. Like Isaiah, purges of our iniquity and our sin. And Lord, that you would put your words in our mouths. Yes, my God. Yes. Your words Help in us, our mouths. Our God. words, oh Lord, they'll be always trouble. They'll be always short of the truth. Yes, my God. But your words in our mouth is the only thing that can be true, Father. So that's our prayer this morning. Thank Purge you. our mouth 
our iniquity and our sin and put your words in our mouth. We commit the rest of the day into thy hands. Pray, Lord, that you would be with us and go before us. Order our steps, order our words, order our lives, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Now, one more time. We use our lips to bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your name. We bless your name. We stand here and we declare thy is the kingdom. We love you. Power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.